Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast and congratulations on making it through the week pretending to be fully committed to your day-to-day work when really you were counting down the hours until the biggest sporting weekend of the year so far. All-Ireland final, All-Ireland semi-final, England versus Ireland at Twickenham and two Republic of Ireland internationals if we count Friday and Monday as the days in the weekend which we will for the purposes. Hi Kieran. hi Ken. Hey there, Ken. Hi guys, we're we're almost there now. What are you looking forward to the most out of these next few days? Well, yeah, it's an obvious one for Kieran. Ken, what about yourself? Ireland against Georgia. Ireland against Georgia is a big one for you? Yeah. As we just keep our fingernails on the wall of qualification for Euro 2016. Yeah. Well, I've, well <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad you've, you've said that because I've studied the group. I've studied the group in depth and the, uh, the games remaining for all of the four teams. I have no idea how this is going to work out, but I do know... But by the end of this week, the end of this round of games, we could be three points ahead of Scotland. And I know that that's good. Right, Owen? Mm. I know that in the broader scheme of things, that still doesn't mean that we're all that likely to actually qualify. Yeah, it's just those sticky matches against, you know, Germany and Poland that we will have at the end. But I, I, I like that idea that we go into the last, you know, the last international week firmly in position. You know that we've we're there. We have the points on the board. Points on the board always more important than, you know, bird in the hand worth two in the bush. Yeah, so it's all about. Uh, and I I just think that that's going to do wonders for our confidence. It depends on whether the bush is marked Gibraltar. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean the the bush the Gibraltar bush is basically just a glorified a bird cage yeah. with <laughs> some leaves, some foliage kind yeah. of around it. I I realize that, but at the same time, Ken. At the same time. Yeah, that's true. You can't ask, you can't ask for more than to be in contention. If you're a Kilkenny fan, great news. We're going to focus exclusively on your opponent's Galway on today's podcast. Uh, Sir- <laughs> and, you know, if you're upset with that, you know, you've had a lot of All-Ireland victories. Cyril so. Farrell and Noel Lane. Mur- Murph, I asked you, I set you the task of finding two men who were key in the three All-Ireland successes for Galway in the 1980s mm-hmm. to put a bit of context in what they're striving to achieve this Sunday. And you brought me, you brought me the head and indeed the mouth and entire body of both Cyril Farrell, manager for all those three times, and Noel Lane. It was now, actually, it was, a, it was a weird um, guest booking scheme that we, that we actually, Owen hypnotised me, and he asked me to sketch, just like freeform. Mm-hmm. He just said, Galway hurling, and I just sketched for like 15 minutes, and kind of, in, it, about halfway through, it's like, you know, what's Murph doing? Then right at the very end, with like one minute to go, just appeared out of all of this sort of scroll, the face of Sarah Farrell and the face of Noel Lane. It's like that scene in The Usual Suspects when they're waiting for the facts of the yeah. uh, photo to come through and eventually it came through and this is what we saw. Noel Lane, Ken, you might remember uh, Noel from our TV show. He scored that amazing goal for Galway. Yes. And, and Joe Canning reproduced it first when a supporter then jumped on Noel Lane's back. But that was one of, he, well, he played in the all three of these finals, Murph but scored the only goal in both the second 
the but he bought the second and third All Ireland victories. Yes, yeah. he came on as a sub in 1987, 1988, and got the winning goals Makes in sense. both of those games. Sounds so, good. Uh, a man for the big occasion. Can you ever heard of Althea Gibson? There's no problem if you haven't, because that actually fits in better. Uh, I've heard of Anthea Turner. Well, this is Althea. And also it's Gibson. <laughs> uh, Darren Gibson. Uh, no, uh, no, I don't think so. Neither had I up until yesterday when we decided we were going to talk to U.S. Murph about Serena Williams. And was it you or Simon Murph brought to my attention? It was Simon. Simon's there going, don't give any. Murph's already got the. It was me, yeah. He's got the no me, lane yeah. credit already. Don't take Althea Gibson away from Simon. So, right. There's a documentary out on this female tennis player from the 1950s, black from Harlem, uh, or certainly grew up uh, for a large part in Harlem. Uh, obviously, had to come up with against prejudices, unbelievable prejudices, prejudices through her career. Late 50s would have been still the amateur, you know, there probably would have been some professional stuff, but largely you weren't making much money playing the game at that stage. You mightn't have even been making any. Anyway, she uh, managed to win Wimbledon. She won the US Open. She was basically the best player in the world for a couple of years. I couldn't believe this because I just always assumed that Serena and Venus were, and they are trailblazers, but were the first black women to achieve any sort of ma- major success. And was Yvonne Gulligan. Uh, yeah, who won Wimbledon in the in the late seventies as well? But I mean, it, it's from the point of view of uh, of uh, of Black American uh, uh, sportswomen, tennis players, and having come from these rough areas, you know, as certainly as Harlem would have been back then, uh, maybe not quite to, to Compton's level. But the point is that I, I was amazed I hadn't heard of this um, this athlete, and she's only in the news now because this documentary is out. Serena, I you know, was asked about her at a press conference a couple of days ago, and is well aware of Gibson and her place in history. So we'll talk to US Murph about all of this in just a little while. I've got an email in here to secondcaptainsatirishtimes.com. Oh, yeah. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just oh, wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mama. Click, 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 click. Always wait for the explosion. That's, that's usually a, that's usually a good uh, bit of advice. Today's comeback, Owen and Kalesser. Hi, Owen. <laughs> Owen says, hi. Hey, Owen. Hi, guys. Uh, I've been a little confused over some of the commentary regarding the makeup of the Irish Rugby World Cup squad. Ooh, this sounds incendiary. Mm. It has been noted that we have very little cover at fullback, when in fact both of our centres have played fullback at a very high level. This has been getting on my nerves, and I feel a lot better now for venting my thoughts. <laughs> that's the most polite, angry email... We've got that full circle with him there. Yeah. He was very annoyed at the start of the email and just typing the words seemed to have had a really calming effect on uh, Owen and Cholesterol. A uh, quick tweet here from Thank you, big Senor, Is it Senor Utile? This is a guy who tweets quite a lot, uh, but I can never quite be sure how to pronounce that because I've only ever, <laughs> only ever seen it on Twitter. But there you go. He says, uh, he tweeted second captain saying, saw creatine at the supermarket checkout today with batteries, gum, etc. and thought of the show. Hashtag ripped young men of Spain. Hashtag be better. Um, that, creatine that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I, I saw a protein powder section of my local centra just last night, Owen. I thought, really? Were you tempted? No. You don't want to be a ripped, youngish man of Ireland? Uh, well. Ken's, Ken's closer to the, you know, that doctor who's 83 years old, a really ripped, that you see the infomercials for. That's more what Ken's going for than the. Well, I just, I just don't really see the point of, um, of taking protein powder. At my stage in life, <laughs> you know, it seemed like I was trapped in some delusional spiral, mm. uh, which could only end probably with me hooked up to a dialysis machine uh, at some point in my late forties. So I'm, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, I'll I'll let it be. I'll let the creatine be for now. Yeah, I haven't, you know, I've, uh, to look at me, Ken. This probably will shock you, but I'm I'm not really overly concerned with. You know, building muscle mass fast. Yeah. You know, that's not a big thing for me at the moment. No. Uh, but someone did give me... Actually, no, this was it. A company sent in a load of protein bars to us a, like a year ago. It was the office. You remember this, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was searching around the office one day, and I was really, really hungry. Yeah. And I was searching for something to eat, right? So I took out one of these protein bars... It was literally the most disgusting thing that I've ever had. In like, I couldn't eat it. Yeah. I mean, I would, ch- I, I, I tried to. Ch- you would eat anything. I would eat literally anything. I mean, there's, there's nothing out there that I would, 
not eat, except for protein bars. They're the most disgusting things imaginable. Yeah. I mean, how could you eat this stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to, it's one thing, I think, to go to the gym and say, right, I'm going to take pride in my appearance. But this protein bar, I mean, why are you force-feeding yourself something right. that's so egregiously well, awful to the taste? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's why uh, oftentimes the stuff is in powder, so they kind of put it into, like, a shake or whatever, and then you gulp it down as quickly as possible mm. to ignore the repulse. But, I mean, it's, you know, do you not feel as though you're being kind of exploited here? <laughs> do you not feel as though you've kind of been bagged and tagged a little bit here by the by um, 21st century capitalism? This thing was covered in chocolate. That's, that's what was killing me. Yeah. Let's I mean, talk all Ireland. Yeah, we've got to talk about the all Ireland hurting final now, lads. Much as I'd like to stay here and talk protein bars all day, Noel Lane and Cyril Farrell are waiting patiently. And Cyril, it's 27 years since Galway won an all Ireland, which is a hell of a long time. It was 57 years be- before the 1980 success that you managed. Uh, do you see any similarities between the questions being asked of that team in 1980 and the questions being asked of the current side? Uh, well, in 1980, it was it was probably the. 57 years since it's won before that and the team have been around a long time always the bridesmaid and never the bride like and it was hard to make the breakthrough this team are, are kind of a relatively young team okay it's a long time since the 80s but like they're carrying that baggage in but like they have a lot of young fellas and you know they're, they're a very good team I really think like uh, it doesn't matter to them Look, it's, it's, it's about winning all Ireland it doesn't matter the past is the past you learn from that but you have to live in the future and like when they win on Sunday and I think they will win I, I, you know they'll, they'll want to be a great team Noel, as a player in 1980, I mean, you hear that players shouldn't feel the baggage and it's the same with the Mayo footballers, but what was there a, a part of you in 1980 that was at all thinking about the fact that your county hadn't won for so long? Was there an added pressure there? Not at all, no. I mean, since I was young, for all I dreamt about was staying for Galway and, you know, realised that dream in, in, in 77 or that and to go on and play with my heroes, the guys that won the National League in 75 and were unfortunately were beaten in Dollar in 75. Sean Siggs and Diggy Clarks and Niall Max and Frank Box and PJ Malloy's and the Conleys. To go on and play with them, that's all I cared about. And and to play in the All-Ireland in 79 was huge and unfortunately we were beaten. But going in in 1980, it was all about, you know, we we were enjoying our hurling. We, were, we, we had some great players and uh, it was all about, you know, continuing to go there and do the best we could and hopefully that sooner or later it will be good enough and that transpired in 1980. Uh, Noel, yeah, the, the longer that the drought went on, uh, or the, the longer that the drought has gone on since 1988 and our last win, it kind of seems like the more and more you guys are talked about, the, the, the team that won throughout the 1980s, and that kind of there's a mythology that kind of grows up around that, and that's the standard that Galway hurling has had to hit and has failed to hit over the last 25 years. And even just like watching it from uh, my own van po- vantage point, I think that there's probably only Tipperary that really could hold a candle to Galway when it comes to sort of self-criticism and uh, sort of this kind of self-immolation immolation nearly that happens after every championship defeat that, you know, God, we're never going to get over the line and all the rest of that. I mean... Do you think that those wins are now nearly a millstone around the necks of Galway players? Cyril seems to think that it's not really an issue, that, that, that this drought uh, doesn't have to be a problem for, for these players, particularly the 18, 19, 20-year-olds in the team. Yeah, no, I mean, there has been criticism, you know, and a lot of it deserving they saw over the years. Uh, Galway don't, don't do patience, you know, and there was a lot of interchanging of management. There was a lack of continuity of players and panels, and... It's the first time in quite a while that people around, holding people in Galway, could practically name the team that's being announced tomorrow night in Galway. We haven't been able to do that for a long time. We just weren't sure of who would be playing where. There was no continuity of management. There was no opportunity for players to get four or five years to really build a team and express themselves. And I and, and a lot of people in Galway could name the team that will be starting on Sunday. And that's new. I don't think the players give tuppence about what we say and what we don't say. A lot of the time, maybe we say it to try and maybe motivate and inspire them, uh, you know. But we, we, you call it as it is uh, when you're asked the questions. And uh, for a lot of the time in the in, in the in the in that period of time, uh, there was there was a lot of things that we didn't do pretty well in Galway. But that seems to be changed now, and we're on a, a cell said there, like with 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 a, a crop of young players that there's continuity. They've been given the chance to 
blend into a team and uh, nail down their places. And there's a, set, there's a settled squad there at the moment. Cyril, um, Noel mentioned the stability and management there as well. Anthony Cunningham obviously had to, I don't know if swallow his pride is the right term, but he had to reapply for his job. Uh, he went and did that. He got the job again. He famously said after the Lenser final that he told Cody he'd see him again in September in the All-Ireland final, which is bullish enough. Are the players taking their lead from the fact that the management has remained stable for the last few years and that the management are clearly committed to the players? Yeah, I'd say uh, Joe, uh, Noel is 100% right there. You have to have the same answer for a good number of years, otherwise you don't have any continuity at all. And Anthony did say that after the Leinster final, but he'd have to say that because he believed in the players, and it's a two-way flow. You believe in them, they believe in you. And he knows well that if they get if they get up to their they play their top game on Sunday, they're well capable of beating Kilkenny. Okay, Kilkenny are the benchmark; they're very good. But this squad are well capable of play, you know, beating them because they would have the quality. They have great, like they have great hurlers and great skill. And uh, as Noel said, like you know, the team is everyone knows the team because it's very settled you know you know 14 of them anyway like 13 or 14 it's about going out on Sunday and playing to their ability and getting like a lot of teams playing Kilkenny who are very good get kind of choked up before they go out they're, they're, they're nearly playing a mid whereas I believe if Galway can throw off the shackles on Sunday and play their own game ok you have to respect them but get your own game going they're well capable of winning it and, and obviously they'll have to get the same sort of performance they got from the likes of Johnny Glynn Jason Finn, Carl Mannion, these sort of players. Do they need a big one out of Joe, though? I know it was, uh, Johnny Glynn's TV interview is iconic at this stage <laughs> when he was asked about it being a one-man full, full for, uh, forward line. Clearly it's not, and it can't be. A team can't win like that. But do they actually need... Could they? Can you see a scenario, Cyril, where Galway win the All-Ireland without Joe Canning playing particularly well? I would like you know you need 15 playing well in that Ireland final and you can't have a lead covering for another fella that doesn't happen and like Joe Cannon to me he could have a great game on Sunday but like he had a very good game the last day maybe not full forward he played very well won a lot of ball wing forward now to his own high standards maybe not be clicking as much but it's going to take a complete team effort we can't afford to give in three goals against uh, Kilkenny like we did against Tip and score none you won't beat them doing that and like that has to, you have to get that right at the back first but it's going to take 15 good players playing well and two or three more coming on like the subs coming on now are vital in any game and they're, they're always vital but they're more vital now because it's going a mile a minute there's a lot of hard hits terrible physicality and like uh, it's, it's going to take the 19 or 20 to win the game but you'll need, you'll need your first 15 to go out inside the line get their own game going and going for the juggler straight away That's a big ask though Noel isn't it to get all 15 players and subs performing at the, at the very best on the biggest day Well I often often say like that you know I think how you're going to perform you kind of know on the Friday night. You, you you don't turn up Sunday and turn it on. The preparation since the last game that Anthony and the players have done and how they've spoken and the whole mental state, the physical physical state is good. They're extremely fit, and whoever's involved in training the team should be should be should take a bow there. They're extremely fit and will match up there no problem. It's the mental frame of mind that they have Friday evening leaving training, and then the, you know if if that's right and they turn up on Sunday with the right frame of mind. They're all great hurlers. There's no reason why 18, 20 or 22 of them cannot go out and play well and, and, and throw off the shackles. But, you know, a lot of it, they're young, and sometimes it can happen that the occasion can get to you, and you just be hoping that Anthony and the management team and and, and all the players themselves uh, have that addressed in the right way and will be approaching the game with throw, throw away all the shackles. Uh, forget about Kilkenny. Play their own game, and I have no doubt, but to do that they're good enough to win it Jason Flynn is one of those young men Cyril the first player from your club to play in a senior All-Ireland final I think I'm right in saying yeah, he's the first one to make the beat. We had a few subs before, but he's he's a very good player, underage player, and he's a kind of a free spirit. Okay, he'd be well marked on, on, on Sunday, but he's the type of player you could mark him very tight, but in two minutes he can beat you. He would have all the skills, six foot four, and we'd like, you know, he'd probably come out to feel a little bit and kind of play, say, wing far more. He could be pick hard if only play wing, but he's a capable player, a very good free take as well, and uh, he's one of the new breed himself, say, and the Manions, and, you know, uh, Connor. Uh, kind of Whelan from, from Kinvera all these guys are new but sometimes the first time can be the easiest time in All-Ireland final I always feel if you're in 10 in a row or 10 All-Ireland it's a lot but like the 10th one you'll be more nervous than the first one because they're kind of they're free and they don't realise the consequence of losing these guys are carrying no baggage and to me like you know the older guys you know, know it says there, the mental thing is very very important it's, it's easy to get physically fit but you have to have the mental attitude right and they have to be mentally strong especially playing the likes of Kilkenny if they have everything right there I think that, you know, ment- mentally and physically they're well capable of winning on Sunday. Yeah, <clears throat> yes, Cyril, and you would think that, uh, you know, given the fact that their last final was only 2012, that there wouldn't be that much of a turnover, but there's actually only six starting, the six that started the 2012 final that will be starting again uh, on Sunday if, uh, as we all presume, the team will be what it will be. 
Um, you could make an, an argument looking back to 2012 that Galway are a good bit better and that Kilkenny are a good bit worse. Do you think that that'll be a big factor? Yeah, well, like, uh, yeah, you could make that argument, but uh, Brian Cody and Kilkenny has a happy knack of when they put on the Kilkenny jersey, they do seem to fit into it seamlessly. Like, you look at Tommy Welch, probably an icon wing back, one of the best ever that I've seen anyway, and yes, he's gone, and uh, you have Parik Welch stepping in there, and you're thinking, you know, you're like, he just kind of reinvented, or you go to the other side, Killian Buckley having his second or third season, like, and he's turned into a real good hurler, and like before that, you had JJ Delaney there, went back full back. They seem to, when they put on the jersey, grow two foot tall, but as long as they're up to go away to get their own game going, you can't worry too much about these guys. Okay, you have to mar- you have to man up and mark up, and it's fifteen against fifteen. But after all that, it's all about getting to the ball first and what to do with it. If you're if you're you're there fit enough, get mentally sharp and get to the ball first. That's what you have to do on a big day, especially. What specifically would you worry worry about from Kilkenny, or who specifically would you worry about? No, uh, the whole Adam and Cody and the whole county and all the supporters. I mean, everything about Kilkenny is magnificent. They're wonderful hurlers. you know they. 17 finals, is it in um, 17 years? Cody is in 14 finals or something, and won nine. I mean, the statistics are. If you want to start looking into Kilkenny, and you can, you can, you can, uh, you, you can destroy yourself. Really, you know. You I mean, but the, the supporters know. Surely Galway would at least be out shouting Kilkenny at the weekend, assuming things are tight. Uh, they will, of course. I mean, it's just a whole belief and confidence that they have in their team and players, and they'll go out. And I think Kilkenny will be. We'll have huge support Sunday, but at the end of the day, if Galway were to win, I think they'd be the first to congratulate Galway. You know, they, 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 they themselves know that they've won a lot, and maybe the bubble will, will burst sometime. But, but um, you know, you'd have to think, you'd have to consider the, the power they have up the middle. Michael Sendy midfield, Richie Hogan sitter forward, and TJ Ray full forward. Galway, like, cannot give the space they gave against Tip in that area, particularly in front of the full back area where Callum was running out of space, blocking the ball out in front of him. You know, Galway are going to have to plug that gap and I'm sure they've addressed that. And Dahi Bok, who had a wonderful game, I feel will be a key player Sunday again. And he's the kind of player that can focus on his job and, and, and concentrate on that. And he will be a huge help as well to, to Tani and, and to Patrick Mannion. So Dahi Bok will have a huge big game for us on Sunday. But for Kilkenny, that, just, uh, that central spine of their team is extremely strong. And all Ireland's often throw up, you know, some guy out of the blue. I wonder who would it be Sunday like? Would it be Conor Whelan or would it be Walter Welch or who would it be? But sometimes it could be somebody that isn't talked about at all that could be man of the match and play a key role. So, look, as I said, all of Kilkenny, they're a good team. They beat it in the Leinster final. They're all Ireland champions. And if you want to start worrying about them, you could depress yourself. But I would be thinking of the positives for Galway. Sell is right there. They're young. And a lot of the time, and I know when I played in my first All Islands in 79 and 80, had a lot less mental pressure than I had in the 85, 6 uh, up to 90 the later all Islands, you just feel more pressure on you and there's higher expectations and that these guys are no on the block and as I said they'll have no ba- as Cyril said they'll have no baggage and we concentrate on all of our own positives for Sunday you know and let Kilkenny when Kilkenny are finished maybe with us they'll have a bit to be thinking about as well <laughs> Sounds bullish enough so you think they'll do it predictions no? Uh, my prediction will be that if we Repeat our performance against Tipperary with a little bit of tightening up in defence. Uh, I can see Galway being good enough to win. Cyril? Yeah, I think the same. I know all the fun, like uh, Kilkenny are 2 2 on. Uh, to win in the book is a real 9-4 but I, I think there'll be bonfires in the West the weekend once we get our own game going I wouldn't be afraid of it all no one is right there concentrating yourself okay you're going to know enough about them but like uh, it can be a great day for the West Alright lads best of luck Cyril Farrell no lane thanks so much for taking the time Thank you no problem. And he is my second captain Second captain that's uh-huh. a humorous competition I saw that Important man for my selection What do you think about that, Murph? Cyril thinks that a lot of teams play the myth when they're playing against Kilkenny. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big thing. Um, and I think you have to prepare yourself mentally for uh, some brilliant, to, to face some brilliant hurlers. But at the same time, you, you can't go up against the team that won the All-Irelands in 07, 08, 09 without any shadow of that, the best team to have ever played hurling. Kilkenny aren't that now. And it might be difficult to understand that when you 
see the same manager and you see some of the same, not many of the same players, but some of the same of the same players still playing. But that's the reality of it. I mean, they they have gone back quite a bit. For, how, how could you not from the the peak of that time, and yet people are still maybe equating that team with the team that Galway are going to face on Sunday. Kilkenny are an exceptional team. They're the All Ireland, All Ireland champions, but. They're mortal in a way that they probably weren't, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago. Well, it's good that we're at least talking about Kilkenny now, Murph, because I'm sure there's some disgruntled cats out there listening and they heard you earlier on saying, oh, you know, it's just, you get this every year, so why do we need Mm. to focus on you? I think we should focus on Kilkenny's preparations, so I'm going to bring you through them now. Okay. It'll only take a few seconds. The A versus B training games are very intense. Yeah. There's one of their forgotten players is absolutely flying it, a guy that you haven't heard of in a couple of years. Hasn't started a game yet this year, but is looking to get parachuted in. And Brian Cody is preparing to pull what out of the hat, Murph? Uh, a rabbit. A rabbit out of the hat when he names a team on Friday night. There you go, Kilkenny's uh, annual... Yeah, that's, the, that's the very latest <laughs> from uh, the Kilkenny. And uh, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering, he is prepared to pick uh, on form. What? Training. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, you're you going know, to go with the big names. No, no, oh, no. It's madness. No, I'll stop you there now. But you have to be really ruthless to drop a big name for an All-Ireland final. That's what I'm talking He's about. Not- that's what I'm talking about. Um, I'm on Monday, by the way, you were very bullish. Don't know if you remember this, Ken. Mm-hmm. On Monday, as we were talking GA, Murph was like, "Well, you know, Mayo they threw off the shackles there in the last eight minutes. Why don't they play like that for the whole game and they'll murder the Dubs by about twenty points?" Are you as bullish at this stage it's of the probably, week? It's probably not a good idea. <laughs> now, see, I was pretty excited at the game on Sunday, and the adrenaline was still pumping a little bit on Monday morning. So I can imagine that if you're the Mayo manager, Mayo team, the adrenaline was still probably pumping. You know, Thursday, Tuesday, maybe even into yesterday. But at some stage over the course of this week, they're going to have to sit down and cold-heartedly think about this. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking maybe maybe they did a lot of things right uh, on th- last Sunday. And uh, just deciding to, you know, if Dublin, you know, play with their wing forwards a little further back the field, instead of, pl- like, taking off their two wing backs and putting two forwards say, on those two wing forwards. That's probably not a good idea. They played pretty smartly in the early stages of the second half. Whatever about the desperation towards the end, yeah. when it was still tight early in the second half, they missed quite a few chances and that, that was their spell. So whatever tactical switches they made and at that point, maybe are the ones to look yes, at. Yes, rather than the let's just run around like lunatics hitting everything that we see and kicking unbelievable points from all over the field. Let's talk to you as Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Get it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Touchdown. Brian Murphy, there's an American sports person who's never quite done enough, I think, to make it into one of our introductory jingles there, but maybe a 22nd uh, major title and a calendar Grand Slam will be enough for Serena Williams to make it in there amongst all those other stars at some stage. According to the US Tennis Association, the women's final is sold out there before the men's this year for the first time. A bit of buzz around Serena? There is a, a bit of buzz, but in, in you're right in, in, in that your opening statement is just how underrated she is, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking like that, that if, if she was born in the wrong era, um, you know, tennis was, was, was a really big national iconic sport about 30, 40 years ago when Americans were rolling, when Chrissy Everett was playing great, when Bill, Billie Jean King, I'm going to date myself here, Chrissy Everett and Billie Jean King uh, were playing great. And of course the American men too, with Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe and guys like that going back to Arthur Ashe. And guys like that. And tennis was a, I'm not going to say it was a front burner sport, but it was certainly far more prominent than it is now. And ever since Jim Courier and and then really Agassi and Sampras as the last gasp of American tennis. And then it's all alone, really, are Serena and Venus Williams. And, And as a result, while they are respected and admired, and especially Serena now with this just crazy 2015 she's having, it, it's there is a level of respect and admiration. It's not like they're completely forgotten, but man, if they were thriving in the '70s or early '80s, boy, they'd be as big. I mean, I'm not gonna say as big as Tiger Woods, but certainly way bigger than they are now. And it is nice to see that New York City is buzzing 
for Serena. Now a sellout is only what? What does the, the stadium there hold? Uh, what is it, 15,000, something like that? So, I mean, you might get 15,000 on a Tuesday night, you know, Pirates Astros baseball game, you know, so I don't want to say that like it's a it's a stampede of of fame and adulation for Serena. But it is nice to know that if she is going to get her run and her due as the as the amazing, legendary, all time American athlete that she is, that at least she's going to do it in New York City, where even on years that Americans don't dominate the buzz of a New York City crowd, those late night matches and the way they kind of pride themselves on being a raucous rock and roll place, I'm glad to see that she's going to get what should be a coronation in the Big Apple. So, yeah, I'm in. I'm just sad that it's not as big as it used to be. If she wins this one, she goes level with Steffi Graf on 22 singles titles, and that's mostly what's being talked up. But there's an, another angle to this, and I only came across it when Simon sent me on an article by Bill Roden about the uh, a, a tennis player from the 1950s called Althea Gibson, who was almost like a precursor to Serena Williams. Uh, To my great shame, Brian, I hadn't even heard of this player, which, given her story, seems absolutely incredible. I know you've been following this. There's a documentary coming out this week on this player. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I think it airs Friday night on PBS, and we had the uh, documentary maker on our show. In fact, you guys, as I book your show for you, you guys (laughs) should have him on because he's a good talker, and it's a heck of a story. And and the one thing I've always enjoyed about doing these with you guys through the years is it's not just you, but your audience is always so great about learning and fascination with sports history, especially in the U.S., for compelling stories that you guys don't know about. And there is a huge compelling story that nobody knows about so much i swear to god if we did a if we did like a usa today poll and asked how many sports fans knew what sport did althea gibson play oh i bet it would be tragically low how many american sports fans know that she was a tennis legend and ultimate pioneer essentially the jackie robinson of tennis you know arthur ash i mentioned him for the second time in this conversation gets so much credit i believe he was the first black male to win wimbledon but literally almost 15 16 years before that althea gibson was doing it at wimbledon in 1957 58 i mean you talk about when america was still deep in the throes of jim crow and you know she could literally I think she actually had a quote in her uh, biography. We were talking to the guy that when she got, you know, one Wimbledon got to shake the hands with the Queen of England, she said something like, it's a long way from having to ride in the back of the bus back home. You know, I mean, just compelling stuff. So she grew up in South Carolina, you know, which is, uh, you know, and then moved to Harlem, almost a classic uh, sort of a, a, a microcosm of, a, of, the, of the migration of the 20th century of the American black from, from the deep South, from their, you know, the sharecropper roots to the big cities of Chicago and New York. Uh, and, and for her to do that and then be this great athlete. And then for her to be, you know, for lack of a better phrase to have, you know, the balls or the guts to just go in there and be maximize her talent in an all white Lily white sport, uh, to do it way ahead of anybody else. Althea Gibson for sure deserves our respect and attention like I said, there is an event, I mean, a TV show Friday night. I don't know if you guys get U.S. P- public broadcasting I don't think over so, there. no. no I'm, yeah, I'm sure no, you some, don't. some resourceful and possibly illegal methods may be used to this. Yeah, well, there's always illegal, too. You guys could um, have the guy on or reach out to him. I'm sorry I don't have his name handy, but I can yeah, give Rex it to you Miller, on email. Is but Rex, is it? Yeah, Rex. Rex yeah, 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 yeah. And he can send you guys a DVD or something or, or check it out. But it is amazing, given that the, the parallels to Serena. Because really, um, you know, after Althea, how many African-American women dominated tennis? Well, really none until the Williams sisters came along. And, you know, it's really neat is, you know, listen, we all hate to be manipulated by corporate America. Right. And in Nike did this with Tiger Woods a lot. They made very compelling ads that ultimately were, you know, snake oil to get you to buy their product, of course. And they played on our emotions with his stuff, with his dad, when his dad died. I remember that. That was a very memorable ad of all those photos of him as a kid with his dad. Um, and, and what they've done here, Gatorade has an effective ad out that I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It just hit this week. But it's, it's really interesting given what's going on with Serena is it opens with a shot of her and Venus as literally almost, what, seven- and nine-year-olds they look like, or eight- or ten-year-olds. And little Venus is there, 
and and she's just you know the uh, adorable, but she's just a junior tennis player. She might you know she could be a nobody. She could fizzle out in a few years. And they ask the the ad opens with her. They say to her, "What tennis player do you admire?" And then this little Serena Williams just kind of pauses and stares at the camera. And then the ad artfully cuts to scenes from Compton where she grew up, which is obviously an incredibly uh, underprivileged place. Hence the movie straight out of Compton right now, burning up the U.S. uh, movie screens. And then kind of a timeline of her career. And you watch her, you know, her, her accomplishments from 1999 when she won her first major all the way up till now. And her body has changed, of course, too. She's put on weight through the years. And then the ad circles back to the final image of, of her on that tennis court. And she answers the question as a little seven-year-old. And she said, I want them to be like me. And it's, uh, and then it says, you know, drink Gatorade, you know? So of course at the end you got to drink Gatorade, but it's a really compelling ad. And it does in a way remind us of her story. What an incredible story it is for all of Earl Woods's amazing parenting skills in raising the greatest golfer of our time. You could argue that Richard Williams did it even better because Venus and Serena are still on track and still, still have kept their dignity intact and are and are smashing the re- and are going for the records that Tiger appears to be just short of. Yeah, and the Gatorade ad actually kind of feeds into something that uh, I was going to ask you about because this idea that Serena was the pioneer that in the same way that Tiger Woods was breaking down barriers in golf that the Williams sisters Venus first then Serena. We're going to do the exact same thing in tennis. And that's why it's so shocking to me to hear about Althea Gibson, uh, <laughs> because she had done it. You know, there, 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 is no, um, there is no black Althea Gibson in golf that we've never heard of that Tiger Woods is actually following in, in, in the footsteps of. And the, really why I'm, the question I'm asking you really is, why haven't we heard of Althea Gibson? Is there... And we've seen this in in black athletes, American athletes uh, before, that their willingness or otherwise to to really put themselves out there as civil rights heroes or, um, you know, say the Jackie Robinson thing, that just to go out there and to be, to take all the brickbats and actually try and move American society forward in that way, that Althea Gibson kind of just steered clear of the whole kind of civil rights movement. And as a result, maybe her story got lost because it doesn't fit into the narrative of, you know, the the, Al, the Cassius Clay becomes Muhammad Ali, becomes, you know, the most famous uh, black person of the 20th century. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points and a lot of good angles there as to why. Uh, we can start with gender, too. I yeah. just think maybe that, that a female just did not command attention. I mean, we're at the stage now where you guys, you know, we've talked about the U.S. women's soccer team and whatever hold they have on our country. Uh, and, you know, it's funny you say that, just quick parentheses. I saw Carly Lloyd in an ad the other day, and I had trouble remembering her name. Oh, uh, Brian, like, we, come on. a year on. We gave you a year, Brian. And I thought of you guys. I was like, they gave me a year. I went a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, the point is back to the, the female. I think probably first and foremost, it's a female thing in, in that, um, you know, name great female American athletes from the first 80 years, you know, before Chrissy Everett and Billie Jean King kind of broke through. And they were, you know, Chrissy Everett was the ultimate you know, straight white girl who prayed nicely into, you know, mainstream America. Billie Jean King, we only found out years later, hid her homosexuality until she felt more comfortable doing it. But yeah, if you take a black woman, she's just not going to dent the media the same way that, you know, a black male would like Jackie Robinson. That said, and you also pointed out too, that she did not get on the forefront of the civil rights movement. And I, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert, and I have to see the movie. I'm very much looking forward to watching it. Uh, but I, it's my understanding from reading about her that she, especially in her last years, was, was a recluse and really was almost, I think, I don't want to speak irresponsibly here, but I think she was depressed too near the end. And so it wasn't like any kind of like retrospectives were being done while she was alive. Hey, here's a woman in her the golden years who we all need to know about. Also the nature of tennis too. You know, tennis is, just isn't the same as Jackie Robinson breaking through in baseball when it was the number one sport in America. So I'll add up all those different factors and she's criminally overlooked. To the point where you're right that that um, you know Serena's going to do this, and it was done 
well, she didn't win a Grand Slam. Uh, Althea Gibson didn't, but she won Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in 1957 and 1958, and that's 58 years ago. And, you know, and now Serena is gonna you know try to do something Steffi Graf did in 1988, and we're treating her, you know, like as if she's groundbreaking. And she is groundbreaking in many ways, but the real groundbreaking by Al Gibson is probably somebody, and I'd love to hear Serena. I haven't, I, it's my understanding, because when we had the, the filmmaker on, I believe Rex said, told us that I think Serena is keenly aware of Althea Gibson yeah, and she I think has her the, father. Yeah, she has the um, Bill Roden in that piece that I referenced earlier asked Serena at the press conference if she's seen the documentary or heard about it and she points at her bag and she goes, I've got it here. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. So she, she may be uh, maybe watching it after her, la- her latest victory there at the US Open. Yeah, but it's kind of well, weird. We're all going to watch it together. We're not, if we, You haven't seen it, I haven't seen it, Serena hasn't seen it. So yeah. we're all going to watch it. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it is a weird thing even. like, it, it is a, a good idea from a sports psychology point of view for Serena to down and watch this maybe because the idea that uh, I'm sure it's a pretty emotional time for Serena as well uh, to be going for a 22nd Grand Slam and to sort of see her tied into this narrative that goes all the way back to 1957 might not exactly be what her sports psychologist is is wanting her to do. Or maybe maybe it'll inspire her and it'll be interesting to see is if she does win, which everybody expects her to um, if she she takes the time and the moment to mention somebody like Althea Gibson for this. I mean it's not like there's an anniversary right now and it's not like there's, uh, you know, she didn't, like I said Althea didn't win the Grand Slam but it might be a nice moment for for Serena to to draw attention to her. I mean, Serena is. Uh, we've talked about this before through the years. It's just it's kind of baffling to me why she's not more famous because you know, and I know she's had weird episodes in her career. And when I say weird, I mean where she said, "Oh, I'd rather design dresses than win tennis." Um, where she kind of disappeared for a while with that illness. Nobody really knew. I, she almost had a pulmonary embolism. She had that thing where she stepped on some glass. And, and so people they were like, I don't know. They had trouble embracing her, thinking that she wasn't totally committed, that she was more Hollywood. But, man, no. She, remember her stepsister, I believe, was killed, was murdered in a, in a tragedy that affected her career too. She's taken all those – uh, missteps earlier. Well, missteps is the wrong word. Taking all those hurdles from earlier in the career, and has decided that as the sun is setting in her career to come back stronger than ever. So it's great theater, and I, you know, I can't see any way she gets denied. Brian, before uh, while you're in the mood to predict what's going to happen in the sporting world, massive GA weekend. We've got Dublin mm. against Mayo, All Ireland semi, All Ireland football semi final replay. They drew in dramatic circumstances last week, and the All Ireland hurling final is on this weekend. Galway. Against the my boys, Brian, my boys. Bri- Murph's Galway underdog- against who? Yeah, well, you might you might guess who's in the final against them, Brian. They're there every single year. Kilkenny are playing Galway, so if you get, we'll stick to the hurling here because I know we don't want uh, dilute dilute the importance of an all Ireland hurling let's final. Let's get to the final before I make my football call. Okay, we can right? do both. We can do both. Now, boy, now have the bookmakers made Kil- Kilkenny prohibitive favorites in this match? Uh, Certainly <clears throat> favorites, Re- reasonably prohibitive. Yes, Brian. I gotta ask my man Galway Murph. I gotta yeah. ask Murph. Like, are you? I, you know, my my on air partner calls it particles. Are there? Yeah. Is there a magic? Is there a magic about Galway? There, there is, Brian. I feel that there is. I mean, I may be alone in this studio and thinking that the particles are flowing in Galway's That's direction. That's all I need to hear. Yes, I Brian. felt it through yeah. the Skype line. You're a I gut man like me, Brian. You I know, feel you... the particles, <laughs> and if my man Kieran Murphy who strode into San Francisco and lifted me off my feet in front of AT&T Park, yep. believes that the magic is here. I believe in the magic. Kilkenny, they're bored. Galway wins it. Book it. And the football? <laughs> this is Mayo Dublin. Then, Just to give you the background, last week Dublin seven points ahead of Mayo with about eight minutes to go. Uh, penalty, a few great points. Dublin players falling like flies, dropping like flies all over the field, hanging on grimly for the draw. Who do you think wins the replay there? Well, that's that's a hell of a compelling tale, and Mayo would have all the momentum going into this thing, feeling like they've stolen the opportunity. Dublin, the behemoth, wondering how is this pesky Mayo team <laughs> hanging around and doing it again. So I'm going to say that I'm going to on the same vein. Yeah, we're going to go for the Titans fall this weekend, boys. Dublin goes down, and Kilkenny goes down. The 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 West shall rise again. <laughs> West Mayo will be awake. Hallway, all right? Brian. Basic. Murphy, I can't describe to you how happy Kira Murphy is here. You've made him a, a very, very content man mm. going into the weekend. Listen, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. All the best, boys. 
I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. I'm confined giant Central Stadium in Paris. I'm gonna reflex Luger. We got a date with Destiny right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, just the point you raised earlier about um, Althea Gibson Murph maybe not achieving the level of fame of, say, a guy like Arthur Ashe in later mm. years because she was nowhere near as vocal, wasn't vocal at all with regards to the civil rights movement at that stage. Maybe that, that's something that changed later on because by the 80s and the 90s in particular, uh, the best course of action if you wanted to be super famous as a sportsman was actually to not mention anything at all. Mm. Michael Jordan to this day he is one of the most famous sports people in the world but maybe it was a little bit different back then you remember clearly you remember Muhammad Ali both for what he did in the ring and for the stand and stands that he made outside it I'm just having a look at that Gatorade ad now that uh, Murph mentioned this is uh, the Serena Williams ad and it's it's touching it is mm. I, I, it's quite well done I mean Gatorade are getting a lot of publicity here out of this particular slot yeah I've, I kind of feel like maybe I, I you know there were a number of missteps in my youth and the key one was not learning how to play soulful bits of music on the piano because I feel that the advertising uh, community could really have gotten a lot of use out of me if they could just get me to play like little... See, Ken, you you know how to play the piano. I mean, mm-hmm. this is an option, uh, uh, an avenue that is actually available to you now. What level are you at up to? Uh, grade seven. Aren't there only eight grades? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question now, Ken. Why did I stop short of... That's the question. Well, they because I became progressively more and more... I suppose, really, Karen, it was kind of a rebellion against my, um, you know, uh, upbringing. Mm. I uh, felt that it was better to, to walk around the streets um, smoking cigarettes than to uh, master okay. the musical instrument, which I was on the verge of mastering. Uh, this is the kind of decision that maybe... Uh, 14 year old sometimes thinks is a you is got a good to grade decision. 7 by by 14 mm. wow that's a serious talent what is what what is grade 7 like, could you play piano man by billy joel oh of course yeah. that's piece of piano well, man is not that difficult a piece it's but not it's exactly the, but it's rack a, it's 3 a, it's a seminal yeah. song in the piano playing world it's called the piano, the piano man. man yeah what yeah. about elton john's back catalog yeah i mean i could play a few elton john's at that at that stage i you remember know, your when song rock, or whatever rock was young um, Crocodile Rock isn't really yeah, it's not yeah. so much a piano driven one um, but can you play it standing up like Elton does <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I think he really may have been doing yeah. that in the video I suppose he does do that kind of thing on stage yeah. I mean it is you know it's not like riding a bike I can tell you uh, it's the kind of thing it's it's whatever the opposite if you could put riding a bike at one end of the scale of things things that you learn and don't lose the knack of uh, playing the piano is maybe at the other end of that scale Okay. so I've I've been there trying to play the piano and my hands are just like a pair of hams that I'm kind of <laughs> clubbing the keys with. And I'm thinking, I used to be able to move my fingers independently of each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you can't actually do that if you if you don't play the piano for 15 years or so. A few things to wrap up before we head off this. Well, first of all, Murph, just before we leave Serena, you sent me on a very interesting piece from the New York Times Magazine, quite a recent one. Claudia Rankin, I believe is the name of the journalist there. Uh, yeah, she's a poet, actually. Um, the best thing for y'all to do to catch up on your Serena Williams reading is to go to at Run of Play on Twitter, the brilliant Brian Phillips, uh, one of the best uh, writers out there, wrote a piece about Serena at the start of this week. Uh, and there are two links to articles on Serena. That one that you mentioned there, and there's also one from the New Yorker magazine, which is also excellent. So yeah. it's on the grantland.com website. So you can, um, I, I, I actually, so I kind well, of... People keep, don't have all day. People don't have time to read three lengthy articles necessarily, Murph, on Serena. They're not that lengthy. <laughs> but I understand the, the general point that you're making, yes. The New York Times magazine piece, the Claudia Rankin one, is framed around the racism that Claudia feels Serena has put up with every day of her tennis playing life and continues to do uh, no, inter- the I- actual interview she does in that I don't think is as convincing as the argument that the writer actually makes mm. which is s- sometimes the way of these things but yeah definitely uh, worth checking out also if you want to waste five minutes of your life Marshawn Lynch I don't know if you saw this Murph yeah, you know Marshawn Lynch of course Beast Mode Beast Mode yeah one of the most controversial players one of the best running backs in the NFL for the Seattle Seahawks doesn't really do interviews to, well to the point that He's been fine a couple of times, so now when he's asked questions by journalists in the locker room afterwards, he'll just say, yep, nope, 
Yep. Uh, kind of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. This could go on for five minutes. Uh, much to the mirth, I think, of some of the journalists present. Weirdly, and this is in my head because you mentioned infomercials earlier on, I stumbled across a Skittles infomercial, infomercial yeah. starring Marshall Lynch. So it's yeah. a very white background set. The presenter, like, all white, really weird looking, brilliant white in the background. The presenter sitting there with just boxes of Skittles beside her and then she inter- introduces Marshawn Lynch who talks for five minutes about his love of Skittles. And I must say, does it very articulately and sells them quite well. Well, you saw the... Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, Marshawn Lynch appearing on Conan O'Brien. Uh, he, Conan O'Brien does this thing where he plays video games and reviews them. And Conan O'Brien is a terrible video game player, so it's actually very, very funny. <laughs> but in the run-up to the Super Bowl last year, he managed to get Marshall Lynch and Rob Gronkowski, two of basically the most famous players in the NFL, to sit there and play, like, you know, the latest Mortal Kombat or something ridiculous. Uh, and there they are. And Marshall Lynch is, uh, chats away absolutely no problem whatsoever. So I think, uh, I think he's just got a problem with the, the whole media construct Yes, I mean, it's it's not that he doesn't have something to say; it's just that he rebels against the press conference, you know, the the endless roundabout of press conferences, locker room chats with journalists, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Well, listen, we're throwing a lot at you, so we'll probably have to tweet a few of these links a little bit later on. I know your day would not be complete without seeing a player you may or may not have heard of talking about sweets. So we'll <laughs> make sure to tweet that Marshall Lynch link. Ken, you still tell us what's coming up in the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Show. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can sure I'm a little bit of an idealist. Should I not talk over this? But having said that, I want to be like me. Feels so good. Rules are rules. I'd say it to you, but it's not saying to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them up with. What you doing down here, you shiny man? Richard Sadler is coming in, Owen, and he's going to give us a sneak preview of just what the RTE panel are going to be talking about for 45 minutes before Ireland <laughs> against Gibraltar on Friday night. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that and also some of the stories that were happening. Well, the Haya, presumably. Top of the Haya, yeah. And the Haya and all those other big things that happened since our last... Uh, since our last chat. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Uh, well done for hanging, hanging in through the week. The weekend is almost upon us. Enjoy everything that's going to happen over the next few days. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. I'm just going to thank the gentleman here. Hi, thanks, Kira. Thanks, Kira. Kira. thanks, Alan. Thanks, Kieran. And thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 